Welcome to the Ruby Slipper Podcast. You have everything inside you to live your life on purpose. Just click your heels, step into your Ruby Slippers and head home to yourself. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the Ruby Slipper Podcast. I'm just going to jump in because I'm so excited because my beautiful friend who I met on Necker Island, Sarah Davidson, is with me today. So if you haven't heard of Sarah or know about Sarah, you've probably been living under a rock. She is the founder of Marcha Maiden. She is the host and creator and the all the things of Seize the A podcast, which is a super, super successful podcast. She is the reason why when so many people see her Instagram posts every day that your face just lights up and smiles. She is just this beautiful, beautiful, like joy bubble. And I was talking to Sarah before we started the interview and I said, you know, talking about purpose and ruby slippers and all that kind of stuff. And I said, I really want to get into what I see your purpose is and that it's just making everybody smile and feel good and not filtering things like still having, you know, the beautiful photos and stuff like that. Obviously, a lot of the work that you do, um, having shoots and stuff like that, but also putting the realness into it and having people connect with that side of you and just making sure that wherever you are, people are smiling. And, you know, your podcast is all about that as well. And I just, I just love everything that you represent. So thank you so much for being here. I'm so grateful. Thank you so much, Rosie. It's so, so nice to chat. It's like we only spent five days on NECA, but I feel like all of us left feeling like family and now miss each other a lot. I know. Well, you know, we did have your hands with Richard Branson, so. I mean, you know, if that doesn't form the bonds of a great friendship, I mean, what does? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it. I love it. Still, like, I've thought about that a lot lately and I'm like, how was that like not only just over six months ago, like just crazy and did that really happen like was that a thing (laughs) yeah I have sort of thought with this whole like isolation thing too I'm like it would be really good if we isolated over there that would have been great I mean why weren't why didn't it happen when we were already over there and so we couldn't leave like it was illegal for us to leave (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how my kids would have handled that but you know it just would have been a long Richard. yes Yes, I'm sure. I mean, we did get a bit hysterical towards the end. I feel like he would have kicked us right off. Like, girls, the decibels are just too high. (laughs) Totally. Okay, so tell me a bit about your story because you used to be a lawyer. I sure did. So what are the steps or what are the milestones or what is it that has happened in your journey that led you to this place now where – Everything's about joy and fun and making sure that everyone, no matter what you're doing, no matter how successful you are, is seizing the yay, as your podcast title is. Well, I think one of the biggest lessons that I've learned over the past few years about purpose um, and, you know, even just reflecting on it when you mentioned my purpose and were able to kind of articulate it that way, I, I think the the most important thing to remember about it is that it's always evolving. So ending up now, like even I, I don't think I'd actually articulated my purpose until you just did. And it felt so nice to hear it because I finally feel like right now I am living it. But it's taken a really, really long time to get there. And for much of your life and for much of the journey, you don't know what it is. You're peeling back the layers. It's a very, very slow roller coaster process. But every single part of that process is important to get you to where you have to be. So I think patience with purpose is one of the most important things that I've finally learnt to uh, embrace. 
So I started as a mergers and acquisitions lawyer, not because I wanted to be a lawyer necessarily, but more as a process of elimination of being like most of us, just having no idea what I wanted to do and having so many different interests that it almost was a disadvantage because you kind of have no clear pathway. So I ended up doing law at uni because I thought it opened more doors than it would close, unlike a lot of other degrees. And then by the time I finished uni, I still hadn't worked it out. So again, I was like, well, my mum always said to me, if you don't know what you want to do, you might as well still do something because you're going to, the, the time will pass anyway. So you might as well do something that will set you up for whatever comes next. And I think everything since that time has been exactly that, just doing whatever gets you to the next step because each jigsaw puzzle piece will will come one at a time, but you have to go through those motions to figure it out. So I started at a really great law firm. I worked as hard as I could because I thought, you know, if I don't know what I want to do, I might as well do the best at what I'm doing now until I can work out what else there is. And I think the most important thing in hindsight was that I didn't dislike it. I thought it was I was very grateful for one to have a stable job. There were lots of learning opportunities. I got to travel with my job and, you know, obviously it paid the bills. It was a very respectable place to be. I never actually hated it like a lot of people do their corporate careers. But I now think that that's almost even worse because you won't often actively make a change unless you're actively unhappy. But if you're just blah and you're fine, I think we tend to just stop asking questions. We're like, oh, maybe this is all there is. And 100%. that is exactly what I fell into. I was like, oh, I mean, maybe work is meant to feel just kind of fine. Like I'm fine. I'm fine. And it was only a very happy accident, which I call a sliding doors moment and shudder to think what would have happened otherwise, uh, that showed me by contrast how there was more than just blah. There are things that can make you feel enormously exhilarated and fulfilled, but that I hadn't even realised I'd been letting slip away. So I I also in the whole, you know, CCA philosophy that I've developed think that looking back at our childhood, often you see a lot of the traits that make sense later on, but we let the shoulds and obligation and expectation layer on top of that and then we spend all our adult life just stripping it back to where we were in the beginning. So I had always been equal parts nerd burger and an arty fighty creative, but in law it just had it stimulated one side but let the other die completely. Yeah. And it was only through a trip to Africa, uh, we went on a charitable expedition for about a month and had an absolutely incredible time, but I brought home a gut parasite and that I, it shows just how much of a different person I was at the time. I had no connection with well-being or, or slowing down or pacing yourself. Went straight back to work, lost 15 kilos without realizing. Just thought, you know, I'm getting, wow. I'm going to the gym. I'm getting fit. Like, cool. Uh, burnt out completely into adrenal fatigue and I collapsed at work. Shine in your ruby slippers and get weekly inspiration. Join Rosie's mailing list at www.rosienerney.com. It was only through the process of piecing myself together and really having to slow down for the first time in my life that I realized like, oh, I've not actually been stopping to ask questions. I've just been on this productivity hamster wheel, getting distracted by the glorification of busy and have kind of smashed myself in the process to the point where I can't even enjoy life. So what was the point of all that? And through all that reflecting, I was uh, banned from coffee at the time because my body was just too frail for the stimulation and I, uh, I'd i get like full panic attacks when I'd have a cup. 
and I was, you know, a 10 cups a day kind of girl at the time. And I was a lawyer. So I was like, well, I can't do drugs. So what am I going to do for energy? (laughs) (laughs) And I got sent to the firm's headquarters in Hong Kong when I did eventually uh, get well enough to go back to work and was worried about how I'd survive without coffee. And I discovered matcha over there, which is Green tea leaves ground into a fine powder. So it's pretty much just green tea, but a lot stronger because instead of throwing out the leaf in the tea bag, you actually swallow it. And you get almost half the caffeine as you would with coffee, but it's got a unique amino acid in it called L-theanine, which makes it slow release into your bloodstream. So you don't get the crash and jitters like you would with coffee. And I got absolutely hooked. Nick came over to visit. He got hooked and realized he could cut down half his coffees and do his pre-workouts with matcha and still drink coffee, but kind of supplement it with that source of caffeine and really my whole entire life shift into business came out of our inability to buy it when we came home to Australia there was just this glaring gap in the market in our selfish need to close that gap for ourselves we discovered a beautiful supplier that uh, had a really good balance between super super expensive which was the only version you could get in Australia as like a special occasion gift or Mm. you could get sugared down uh, like flavoured versions in an Asian grocery but there was no health focused product even though we were drinking spirulina which tastes like food and everyone (laughs) matcha tastes nice so I was like what is missing here and that's how we started our business that was not even a side hustle it was literally just a hobby to begin with we just thought we'll buy some you could only buy 10 kilos. That's too much left over. Let's sell some on the interwebs and see what happens. And, uh, yeah, six months later I left my job. Wow, just blew up. Well, I mean, when you've got a product that works and that helps people and that makes people feel good, it just it's just how it rolls. Yeah, for sure. So you grew much, Maiden. You've got the cafes in Melbourne and now you're not really in them anymore, are you? Like they're still yours, but you're not like you're not like working at them or anything like that. Oh yeah, no, we still are full time operations. Yep. Oh, you're there. <laughs> yeah. No, so we're not on the floor at the cafe anymore. We have managers who are, are there and run the place. Well, obviously, right now it's it's closed, but we were on the floor working probably the first year while we built the community and then got managers in, which was a big a big shift and and wonderful. Match made, and we still do. Uh, all the operations, but definitely have staff now to help kind of take a bit more of a backseat. Yeah, well, it's how you expand and how you increase space for more yay. Exactly. So that was obviously, like you said, a sliding doors moment there. So then what was your pull to go, I'm going to create this podcast because more people need to know about this? I think the biggest thing that happened was I had taken one huge jump out of the comfort zone and changed industries and, you know, revamped my whole life. And I kind of was patting myself on the back for so many years, like, oh, yeah, you've like, you know, opened up your mind and done all the bits and now you never have to do another hard thing again. Like I think you kind of sometimes make a big change and then your comfort zone inevitably catches up with you because you get comfortable in that new thing and you forget that you just it's evolving you actually have to keep stepping there's not just one chapter and that's the end so about three or four years in I started to get a bit like well firstly you hit that three-year itch that most businesses have where the novelty slows down that exponential growth kind of calms down once the novelty factor wears off and then it becomes hard. You've actually got to do the hard work. You can't just wing it anymore. So 
from year three to year four, we were stuck in that kind of like, oh, this is a real thing now. This is our livelihood. We actually have to work hard. Uh, not that we didn't work hard before, but that it, that yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, the momentum becomes there's no backup. Yeah, yeah, and it. it's not yeah, it's not automatic. You actually have to build yeah those skills. Um, and then around year four, once we settled into okay, this is how we're going to systemize and process and make it a proper business. The itch didn't go and it wasn't, it no longer was because it was hard and I didn't want to do it anymore. I realized it was because in four years time, you change as a person, you you gain new skills. And I had kind of corporatized Matcha a little bit as well because it had to as it grew. But as that happened, I got less and less contact with the customer. And I realized that the bit I had loved the most about leaving law was that intimate personal connection and I suddenly was able to do you know I feel so lucky to have been able to do speaking gigs and grow a profile at the same time and I would have these amazing amazing conversations with people backstage and they'd never go anywhere like no one else got to hear all the all the shit bits that don't make the the press or the social media articles Mm. or whatever Um, and it dawned on me uh, only once I took a, a break, we went away for a weekend and it was like the first weekend we'd taken in months and months, which again is a lesson in itself. Once I had a clear brain and could kind of look at my life and think, you know, what's missing? What's that feeling come from? I realized it was that personal connection and that my passion had suddenly become not necessarily about the business itself, but about how starting the business had invigorated me. It was the background process that interested me and the fact that I had broken that autopilot circuit I became really passionate about sparking that reflection in others so that no one ends up just blah in their lives and then I thought well how do I do that like I can't put that stuff on Matcha Maiden's site it doesn't make sense it doesn't belong there that's a business it's got product it's about education it doesn't make sense to do behind the scenes stuff there so where can I put it And a podcast seemed the most logical place to do that because the conversations were longer than a minute or two minutes or five minutes. And Mm -hmm. I had no, again, had absolutely no idea what podcasts, I didn't even know where they lived or like I didn't even, I barely even listened to them back then. I just knew that that long form audio was what would be the best way to do it. And I think one of the best skills that I've learned is to be comfortable with going back to being a beginner in something because you never lose that sense of wonder and excitement at being out of your comfort zone. And so I was like, okay, I know nothing, but I'm going to buy the equipment and I'm going to organize a guest so that I have absolutely no choice but to make it work. And (laughs) I launched like three weeks later with the worst audio ever, but (laughs) figured it out. (laughs) I love that. I love that. And that's what you do though. When When you want to do something bad enough and when it means enough to you, and it's that that pull in your heart, you you figure it out, you find a way, you keep going. Because otherwise, like you said, that niggle, it just stays yeah. constantly. Yeah, and you also realise after you've done it once and you realise that just going for something doesn't mean the world crashes down around you because you didn't plan for five mm. years, you realise, oh, maybe everything's like that. Like my whole career had trained me to find the risks and the things that might go wrong and overplan because that was my job. So I had to unlearn, mm. I had to unlearn that intense overthinking and relearn how to just 
do it. I love that so much. <laughs> Let Rosie guide you to find your ruby slippers and learn how to use them. www.rosienanny.com. What would you say to someone who is kind of at the beginning of their journal or even has that, that little niggle that they want to do something or there's a pull to do something, whatever it is. Like I say to people all the time, what your purpose is or what you feel your pull or your passion or whatever it is, if it's growing the most amazing, beautiful rose garden in the whole world, like it doesn't bother me what it is, just do it. Yes. Um, but I find, like you said, like the fear that people have, they just, they sit on that fence and they get stuck and they, in the what ifs, what ifs, what ifs, what ifs, but what if I do it? What if this doesn't work? Like you said, the risk assessing. Mm. So what advice would you give to someone that is sitting there that is so badly wanting to take that leap, but are worried about, you know, the what ifs, the judgment, the blah, blah, blah. What would you say? Oh gosh, I think that those feelings of self-doubt, the what ifs, the, the just how far we get into negative self-talk is really the biggest barrier. It's not your ability to do it. It's not the physical barriers to actually getting started. It's all in your brain. And I think once you learn how to master that self-doubt, you can do absolutely anything. So it's more about getting your head right than it is about getting anything else right. And for me, I've learned that I'm never going to lose that self-doubt altogether. It's not about making it go away because that's a sign that I'm not complacent. It's a sign that I care. Rather, it's about learning to like acknowledge the self-doubt acknowledge that it's a self-protection mechanism, but don't let it dictate your decisions. Just go, oh, cool, like you're there, but you're wrong. I know what you are. I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to protect me. It's natural. It's a defense mechanism, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. And I find in now I'm able to have that talk myself. Earlier on, the best thing you can do is choose the people around you wisely. I always say that you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time with and no matter what the endeavour, no matter who the person, no one has done anything that they've done alone. There's always been an army of people cheering them on in the background and in those early days when you are sitting in self-doubt, it's unlikely that you're going to get there without someone helping you get out of that funk and you need to make sure that those five people, that the people you turn to when you're having a moment going, this is shit's not going to work, that you're turning to someone who's going to say the right thing to you, who's going to be like, you're amazing. Don't forget that. They're going to remind you of all the good things because they believe in you rather than being like, oh, you're right. It's a bit risky. Like I had to, yeah. I had to completely not block, but not talk to my lawyer friends at the beginning when I wanted to do it because they're so risk averse. So they were going to yeah, tell me, yeah. oh, but the money, oh, the five-year plan. I had to only turn to friends who I knew were the right people to get me in the zone. So I think surrounding yourself with the right people who will counter the self-doubt until you can yourself, learning strategies that will help you interrupt that sort of thinking on your own once you get a little bit more used to it. And also I find talking things through to the worst-case scenario also often helps, even though it sounds counterintuitive. If you ask what is the worst that can happen and instead of leaving it as this great unknown which can overwhelm you and become really scary, if you actually think about nuts and bolts, what would happen, how much money would I lose, how, you know, what are the actual consequences, most of the time you'll realise it's not as bad as you think. You might look silly if it doesn't work, you look silly for two seconds and then everyone forgets or you look silly and no one else even knows because you didn't launch to anyone. Like 
most of the time it's not that bad. So talking myself through to that rational conclusion of like, what am I actually scared of? If all it is is looking silly, I can get over that. It could be a bit of money, which is an actual risk. But once you know what the risk is and you face it head on, it's not as scary. So I think anything that helps you talk down the fear, there are so many strategies for that. Writing down all the reasons it could go well. You know, there's so many different things that you can do to just keep your focus away from the doubts. Uh, it takes lots of practice. I'm not there yet, <laughs> and I, I think that's a good thing. Um, but, yeah, finding a friend, talking yourself, journaling, you know, all those things through to their, to their logical conclusions um, and just doing it before you even have a chance to think about it. Rip the Band-Aid and then you buy the equipment and then you're done. Yeah, I find that really works for me. I work really well with public pressure and accountability so I would often if I found myself procrastinating I was like right quick just set an event put it on set tickets quick 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 quick, go go and then when it was on there I was like okay so now I have to do it so I can't be scared I've got to figure this out um so yeah yeah I love that well thank you so much for coming on the show I have just loved listening to you your story your wisdom and I can't wait to get this out and share it with people so just huge thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. I love everything about you and Ruby Slippers. And when I met you on NECA, I just was like, this is a woman who is holding the weight of the world on her shoulders and making it look easy for the rest of us. <laughs> you are an absolute star. Oh, thank you. That's very, very kind. I don't know. You don't think about it, do you? When you've got all your stuff, you don't think about it. You just do. Yeah. And then, you know, like even you, when we were talking about your purpose or what I see your purpose as, you never like stopped and went, oh, you just do. Yeah. So where is the best place for people to come and find you and check you out? Oh, my God. There are so many places. I have so many <laughs> Instagrams and emails and accounts and stuff, but I think the main one's probably just Spoonful of Sarah. Where I, that's my favourite. That's where I live, basically. You know, the, the thing that I fell in love with you about when I first, like, met you on Necker and, and discovered you and looked up your profile was all your bloopers. <laughs> They're the best. Your bloopers, they are the best and angry Sarah when she sleeps. Oh, my God. (laughs) What is that? I still have not figured it out. Every every time I see one, I'm just like. It's a face. Because you're you're so unconscious about it. I can't make my face do that now. Like, I I don't don't know how it does. Were, Were you there at the end when I did it at the airport? At the end of it, yes. yeah, remember? Yes. I was like, <laughs> I don't know what it is, and I was so happy then. So I have oh, no. Idea. I know. I, well, it's it's how you're relaxing. It's just it's just the shape of your face when all muscles are like sleeping. Yeah, it's, it, it doesn't mean. But you know what? We it's our interpretation. Like it's just at the end of the day, it's just a human body that is resting. But it's like an actual frown, like an actual frown. Yeah. <laughs> It's not just resting state. It's like. (laughs) Oh, it's well, you know what? Okay, here. You smile so much that you need to reverse it to give it a little bit of like balance. I like that. I like that. We'll go with that. Yeah, let's go with that. (laughs) But anyway, like go check Sarah out because it is. 
inspiring, uplifting, hilarious, and it's it's one it's one of my favorite accounts that I follow. Whenever one of her posts pops up, I'm like, I always smile. Oh, thank so you. that's a good thing to have on your Instagram feed. So <laughs> thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it, and thank you everyone who tuned in to this episode of the Ruby Slipper Podcast. I look forward to catching you on the next episode next week. Take care. Bye. Thanks for being part of our purpose. The Ruby Slipper Podcast is kept ad-free, so we don't annoy the shit out of you with ads. If you'd like to keep it that way and receive exclusive gifts from Rosie, please click on the Patreon link, which you can find in the show notes or at rosynerney.com. This is not an ad.